Well, the message this morning seems a bit untimely. Seems like it should be a springtime message, but came out of my own personal Bible study. I was reading through the book of Mark, and the name of the message is Sowing Seeds and Pulling Weeds. We are looking at harvest season, and if you want a bountiful harvest, we're going to have to do a good job of sowing seeds and taking care of weeds. Look at Mark 4 this morning. This is called the parable of the sower, and it should be called the parable of the soils, but um, it's called the parable of the sower, so people know it by. And the meaning of the word parable is actually, it means to set alongside. And so in scripture, a parable sets a physical illustration alongside a spiritual truth. That's what we're looking at this morning. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 to 9 of Mark 4. Verse 1, And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship, and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, There went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth fruit. Some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We'll stop there for the time being. So, Jesus brings this parable. Well, he's teaching. He must be a huge crowd, and he pressed pretty tight. And so he stepped out on a boat. And if you think about that, it's, it's an excellent way to teach because... On a lake or a water, you have really good acoustics, and you could talk to a lot of people. He could remove himself however far he needed to. But Jesus taught the people from a boat. And verse 3, he says, Hearken, behold. And it kind of tickled me as I read that. It's a little bit humorous, but I'm from the south enough. My, my thoughts went to, hey, y'all, listen up. And look here. Hearken, behold, he wanted people to get what he was saying. Think about what I'm saying here is what he says. And verses 3 to 9, as we look at this, this is all that the, that the crowd got to hear. It was a pretty basic parable and not real well explained. Or I'm afraid I would have missed part of the beauty of this parable had I been there. But he says, picture a farmer headed out to plant his field. And as I considered this parable, I realized that we as Christians are both sower and the field. We are sowing seeds, both in our own lives and in the lives of others, and our hearts are the soil that grows that seed. And so 
in the first part of what we're going to look at, I'd like to look at ourselves sort of as the sower this morning. What kind of seeds are we sowing? There's a phrase in a song that kept running through my head as I studied this parable. And that phrase is, where bitter seeds are planted, hearts will harden. But a caring hand will make the harvest sweet. And that challenged me. The Lord really spoke to me through this parable. What am I planting with my words, with my actions? What seeds are going into the hearts of my friends, people I work with, or my children? And what are they going to grow up? What are they going to grow in their hearts? What's it going to produce? We are a sower. All of us are. And each of us, as we're sowing seeds, there's more than one way of sowing seeds. Um, probably the two most productive ways of sowing seeds are our words and our actions. And what are, they, what are our words and our actions? Are they building up or are they tearing down? Our words go in and can sometimes... They sit there and percolate. <laughs> what you say directly to someone, sometimes it's pretty, very innocent, but it, it slowly grows and grows in their heart. And it can be building them up or tearing them down. And you know, there's only one letter different between words and swords. You ever think about that? S is the only thing different between words and swords. That's a pretty negative thought. But our words can be swords. Do my words cut and draw blood and maybe even kill the spirit of someone else? We're all planting seeds with our words. What will those words produce? But just as much as our words can cut and hurt, they can heal and grow and encourage. Then there's actions. <clears throat> Somebody's watching and following everyone here. Young, old, it doesn't matter. No matter your age, your actions are planting seeds. And that was reinforced to us this week several different times. And I'd like to give several different stories from this week. And first, it's in our own family. Somebody, a friend sent LaVon a message <clears throat> and shared what she called a quote of the day from her niece. This niece is in second grade. And the niece said to her, she said, did you notice that I comb my hair like Whitney? Now, it's not to put Whitney up, but children, you don't have to be very old and somebody's watching everything you do. That struck me. Somebody's following our example, no matter how old you are. You're leaving the example and you're planting seeds in someone else's heart. And sometimes children plant seeds in adults' hearts. Something they say that just brings delight and joy. It's not just always somebody younger that you're affecting. Sometimes it's somebody older. 
And Wednesday evening, we had an ice cream social. I was very blessed. Somebody from this congregation gave up their being at the ice cream social and took someone else's responsibility of elder care so that the caregivers could have an evening off and could be at the social. I don't see Lois here this morning, but thank you, Lois, if you're listening in. That's planting seeds. It planted in my heart. Challenged me to love others and to give, to give up time and energy for others. And had those caregivers not been able to be at the social, someone else had plans to go spend the evening with them so they wouldn't be there alone. Thank you, Welton. I didn't ask permission to share these stories because any one of them would have said, would not have wanted that shared. I understand that. But brothers and sisters, these are seeds that need to be sown. And I know there's probably a lot more stories that could be told. Stories of things that happened that you did this week. I didn't find out about. That's just happened to be some that I found out about. I want to say thank you to use a congregation for loving and caring about others. We're sowing seeds in people's lives. Are they seeds that bear good fruit? So in verses 3 to 9 of our text, Jesus introduces us to the sower, the seed and the soil. And as we look at this, we'll find out in the end that, e that each of these applies to us in some way. But I want to move on through the chapter to get on to Jesus' explanation of what the parable meant. What he was really trying to teach. The underlying meaning of what he was trying to tell us. So let's read verses 10 to 20 now. Mark 4, verses 10 to 20. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure. But for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. What kind of soil is my heart? Let's look at verse 10. I'm blessed by the disciples. 
they didn't always get it. They didn't always understand Jesus' teachings fully. You know, they walked with the master for three years before they really understood who he was. And even then they made mistakes. A lot of times they, when Jesus would give a teaching, they would ask him, what, what did you mean by that? They were quite often out of step with him and needed explanation to understand what he meant. And I feel a little bit like I'm one of those disciples sometimes. I don't quite understand everything. And maybe that's why the Spirit prompted me to study this parable a little deeper this week. I don't know. Let's look at verse 11. says, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Jesus says something in that, chapter, in that verse that sort of struck me. He put, a, a, he divided, you're on the inside, but they're on the outside. That's, that was a sort of a new thought to me. I know we kind of think about that today, but here's Jesus making that distinction. The disciples were on the inside, but the crowd, the his people that weren't following him necessarily, were on the outside. Where are we at? Are we understanding? Is the Holy Spirit explaining scriptures to us? You see, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him what this parable meant. And he explained it to him. So today, are we having parables explained to us? Is the Holy Spirit leading us? As we study the scripture, do things sort of pop out and speak to our hearts? That's a little bit of an indication if we're on the inside or the outside. But what made the difference between those on the inside and those on the outside? Jesus said to these disciples that they were asking him for clarification. They wanted to know. That made the difference. They weren't perfect, but they wanted to know the truth. They truly wanted to understand what Jesus wanted them to know. Is that where we are at? You see, there's two ways looking at Scripture. There was the Pharisees outside that Jesus was telling this parable to that were looking at Jesus' teachings to pick him apart, to try to see where he was wrong and try to figure out a way to not do what he was teaching, if you want to say it that way. They were on the outside. People today do the same thing. Do we look at Scripture to find loopholes, or do we look at Scripture to find what God really wants of us? That's an indication of where our heart is, whether we're on the inside or on the outside. Verse 12 is a little bit confusing to me as I read it. Jesus quoted Isaiah 6, 9 here and explained why he uses the parables. And if you look at it, it seems like he's, it, it almost seems as if he's not wanting some people to come to him. But that's not really the heart of Jesus. We know that throughout scripture. What he's really doing is giving people the chance, the opportunity to dig deeper. He gives a parable. But he doesn't give them all the meaning. He wants us to step past and dig deeper. And that changes who we are. If we're willing to dig and seek him, that changes whether we're on the inside or the outside. 
If someone's not willing to dig, willing to seek out what Jesus really means, we're not really interested in being his follower. And I think that's what he's bringing out here. Are we serious about following him, digging in and following him? Are we really wanting to step inside and find the truth that's deeper in each parable? Let's, let's move on to verse 14. So we see what the, word, what the seed is. It's the word of God. And we have many ways that we can plant that in people's hearts like we were talking about. Our words, our actions, um, our lives. People watch us and they see, why do you do that? Well, we do it because of what the word says. We're planting that seed. In the next several verses, we're going to see different responses to the word. Each depends on the condition of one's heart. Whether we're on the inside or the outside plays part of that. But some people aren't on the inside yet. They haven't given their heart to the Lord, but they are seeking. We see the hard-packed soil of the wayside. We see the stony ground. We see weedy or thorny ground and good ground. And I believe that everyone fits one of these four categories. Let's look at verse 15. It's called the wayside. So I get a picture as I see somebody who talks about the seed being thrown on the cast on the wayside and the birds just pick it up. And I get a picture of someone, what he's describing here as someone who is completely preoccupied with life. Life is way too fun to think seriously about the word of God, about what God wants of them. They have all the answers and they just scoff at scripture, maybe even scoff at religion, period. Just, I don't have time for that mess. It doesn't matter. There's no place in their heart for the word to settle in and take root. I hope that's not anybody here this morning. I really hope that hard ground is, is, doesn't describe any of us. I hope, yeah. But the next three types of soil, we all could probably find ourselves in one of these three types. The stony ground, verses 16 to 17. As I think of stony dirt, I get a picture of someone who hears the word and they see it as the next great thing. This is neat, you know. It's exciting and all this, but it doesn't take long when they realize that when you give your heart to the Lord, it requires a change. All of a sudden, that excitement goes away. You mean I really have to do that? I have to give up this? I have to, oh man, and another soul is lost. Or maybe they get offended at what we, or what is taught in scripture. And so they go on the internet and find somebody who agrees with them that they shouldn't have to do that. And deception sets in. Or they find some book to read that says it doesn't really matter. The word doesn't matter. And the word is choked out. They don't really have a depth of commitment to do what is required. It may also be any one of us, if we don't take seriously our relationship with the Lord. And I thought this morning in our Sunday school class, uh, we got really close to this point. 
If we don't have real depth of commitment, and our walk with the Lord is more like a stroll, and we stroll in the church on Sunday morning, and that's about the extent of our walk, we most likely have a stony heart. Soil's just not very deep. It's not getting nourished with moisture from underground. And when hard times come, it's not enough. We're not serious enough. If you find yourself there this morning, if you've got a Sunday morning religion, look at the end of verse 17. When affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. If that's our hearts, we're on very, very dangerous ground. We need to be getting those rocks out and deepening the soil. Let's move on to verses 18 and 19. Weedy or thorny ground. And this, I think this chapter probably spoke to my heart, this parable spoke to my heart, because I felt like God was saying, Dave, this might be, this might apply to you a little more than you want to accept. Is this the soil of my heart, weedy or thorny ground? Now, as we think about this, this, this soil is actually fairly fertile because it grows good thorns. There's some nutrition there. There's some moisture there. But it's soil that's not tended properly. You see, the weeds fall there, but the thorns overshadow them. It tries to grow. I'm sorry, the seeds grow, fall there. And it, the seed grows, tries to grow, but the thorns overshadow it. And they're competing with the word in our heart. Now, the reason the thorns can, over, can overtake the seeds is because of what's, being, what's not being taken care of, and the thorns are fertilized. I will say this in my own way. Thorns are fertilized by the flesh. By the fleshly lust, if you want to say that. He says in, the cares of, in verse 19, in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. So it's there, it's growing, but it gets choked out by something. So in essence, anything that chokes out our relationship with the Lord is a thorn, if you want to say it that, or a weed. Does it happen quick? I don't think so. Weeds grow slow, thorns grow slow, but they just keep growing. They choke out the sunlight and take the nutrition away from the good seeds. So I'd like to look at these three things that Jesus said affect us. The first is cares of this world. I like to think, think just worldly cares. Cares and stresses that have nothing to do with God's kingdom. Political involvement, family struggles, interpersonal relationships, and the list could go on. The interesting thing about cares of this world are, if we let them, if we use them properly, they can actually draw us closer to God. Our political, the political scene in America can make, can drive us to our knees, and that's what it should do. Interpersonal relationships can drive us to our knees and make us seek God's face. 
But if they become between us and God, and they become our focus, and they take our attention away from God, it bogs us down. All of a sudden, we're not relating with God. The word isn't growing in our hearts the way it should. And I have another, excuse me, another illustration from this week. The Lord sort of tapped me on the shoulder with this one. Harvest season started this week for me. I mean, really went into full force this week. Monday morning, my very first job was 92 miles away. And I was a basket case. I was so, I want to say worried, stressed. And because that's a lot of miles for my machine to be on the road. I've had trouble with tires before, and I do my best. To the best of care, things can still go wrong. And I was uptight. About halfway up the road, I finally come to grips with it and said, Lord, it's not my issue. It's yours. I'm doing the best I can. And I released it to him. It drew me back to him. But had I not done that, it would have driven me away because it was so consumed my thoughts that it was hard for me to, to relax and have faith in God and, and walk with him. So anything that, that stresses us and comes between us and God becomes a care of this world. Deceitfulness of, deceitfulness of riches. And instead of going into personal lives, I'd like to go over one chapter and take up. I don't want to read it, but I want to look at that just a little bit. The heading is the, in my Bible, in Mark chapter 5, is the gathering demoniac healed. So we know the story. Jesus goes across the sea, comes to the, the area of the gatherings, and this demoniac, absolutely out of control, nobody could do anything for him, comes running to Jesus. And we know the story how that the demons said, please don't, I don't know, kill us, I forget. Anyway, um, verse 7, he says, And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. These demons were speaking and saying, Please don't torment us. Jesus cast these demons out. And they begged of him to go to the herd of swine. 2,000 pigs on a hillside. They said, can we go into the swine? And Jesus allowed them to do that. I do not understand that all. There's so much there that I can't really comprehend. I don't understand the spiritual realm. But those demons went into the pigs. Pigs promptly ran over a cliff and drowned it. And 2,000 pigs, and I, I can only imagine the value of that in that day. If you, I mean, I would just imagine that somebody lost two two chicken houses full of chickens right there or, or whatever, pretty much lost their livelihood in that moment. It was big. It was not a little bit of an accident. 2,000 pigs dying was a huge loss for somebody. But what happened next? As you think about what happened next, it really tears at my heart. Those people of that town, that man was healed completely delivered in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And he goes back into town. The townspeople hear about it and see this man, a completely different person. They witnessed what Jesus had done. And they came to Jesus and said, please leave. Please leave. 
They didn't want to lose any more livelihood. They just saw one of the greatest power, display of power, spiritually, that anybody's ever seen. And they chose their livelihood over that power in their lives. They asked Jesus to leave. The deceitfulness of riches. Their pigs were worth more than that man's spiritual freedom. But we can scoff at that and say we'd have never done it, done that. But let's be careful because we might would have. Riches are deceitful. Very deceitful. Third thing Jesus said was the lust of other things. Desires of our flesh that in any way hinder our relationship with God. You see, the desires of the flesh are so deceptive and can overtake us so easily because they're God-given. They are desires that are not wrong if they are controlled by the Holy Spirit. But if we start to feed those desires, Satan has a counterfeit for everything that Jesus, God offers. And when we start to take Satan's counterfeit to feed the desires of the flesh, they start to grow. If they start to grow in the wrong ways, they'll continue to grow and continue to grow and pretty soon choke out the spiritual life that we had. Sometimes it may get to the point that we feel like there's no way of dealing with them. But there is a way. So what's the remedy for getting rid of these thorns and weeds in our lives that threaten our, the, the word, threaten the seed of the word in our hearts? Pull them out by the roots. And I've got a story to tell you on that. So Wednesday evening, Brother Kenny, we just happened to be talking there, and he got to talking about wild cucumber vine. He was walking by his, his cornfield, and Kenny, I hope I can translate this the way you said it to me. Walking by his cucumber or by his cornfield, and he saw this vine starting to grow up out across the corn. And he said, Nasty old vine. It's the one way to get rid of it. You get on your knees and you crawl down underneath that vine in the corn until you find that one little spot where it goes in the soil. You pull that spot out, and all the vine dies. It's not that hard. But you gotta find that where that vine goes in the soil. The source of nutrition for that vine. It can be huge up here, but it's one little spot. Source of nutrition. You pull that out, and the vine dies. And he did that in his, in his field. Went in there and cleaned those vines up. But as I thought about that, that challenged me. You know, we can, we can yank those vines, go along the top of the corn and yank all the vines off and throw them in the fire and burn them, but if you don't get that root out, coming right back up. Get on our knees and take care of those vines that want to grow. And I think if we're willing to spend enough time on our knees, honestly searching our hearts for the source of those weeds, source of the problem we know is there, the Spirit will be faithful and show us what needs to be done. Show us where that source is. Sometimes we may need to ask a brother or a sister to help us, either in prayer or accountability or to, just to give us the strength to pull it out 
and be rid of it. Because, you know, sometimes we really, in our flesh, don't want to be rid of that weed. We really don't want to get rid of that thorn because our flesh desires it. Our flesh enjoys it. Sometimes it takes a brother or sister alongside us saying, hey, do it. Come on. Let's keep going here. But seek God to get rid of those weeds. And I think he will lead us in dealing with them. And lastly, we have the good ground. And I think we have a lot of good ground here this morning. What is good ground? I think any farmer can tell you good ground is only ground that is well cared for. You can't just have a field and leave it lay there. If you don't do anything, that field's going to grow up in something. And it's probably not going to grow up in corn. Good producing corn is probably going to grow up in grass and weeds and thistles. Good ground is well taken care of. It's well tended. Weeds are dealt with. And the seed is fed and watered. Now it has some depth. It has some nutrients there. If we neglect the soil, weeds will come up. I mean, it doesn't take much. We know that. That's the natural. If we neglect the soil of our hearts, sin's going to happen. Just like a field or garden, our hearts need to be tended, taken care of. Weeds need to be pulled. We need to water them. And as we sow that seed, good seed in our hearts, it gets spread to others. And hopefully grows there. Are we taking care of the soil of our hearts this morning? I think we are. But I challenge you. Let's tend the soil of our hearts carefully. The harvest time depends on it. And it might be tomorrow for some of us. Let's have a song.